19th episode. Thank you for joining us. My name is Chris Abel and uh, my partner there. I'm Richard Krause on the other end of the line. That was very enthused. That had extra zombie juice on it, that intro. <laughs> Thank you I very like much. That. I like that. We've well, had some technical issues getting on uh, on the air today and I think that's made you a little extra enthusiastic now that it's actually working. Well, you know, it's two things that, um, well, the one thing, I guess, in terms of, of trying to perform. If you get nervous, redirect the energy into your performance. Okay. Or in this case today, if you get a little frustrated because of what's happening with our, our hangouts, just, mm -hmm. you know, add it to, to what you're doing in front of the camera. Yes, yes. So uh, this week we're going to put Movie Pistols at Dawn, the game that we play every week. We're going to put it on hold because it's now Halloween season that's coming up. And so Richard and I are going to take some time and try to plan something special for the month of October. Uh, we won't be doing that this episode. We'll do it next episode. Uh, but it should be fantastic. Yes. Think Monster Brawl. Think favorite monsters. Get sort of in, you know, start thinking about Halloween, even though it's not quite there yet. Start thinking about Halloween. It's soon to come. I have uh, some things here. I have uh, little devil horns that perhaps I could wear oh, to nice. get to, in the mood for Halloween, but that'll come next week. <laughs> well, you know, it's. Uh, I'm going to start off by talking about um, something that is part of the season. Every mm -hmm. year at this time of the year, you have people who get on the Halloween bandwagon a lot sooner than everybody else. Um, you know, you can already see that there are places where you can go and buy animatronics for your house. Uh, right. Many of the shopping centers already have all the decorations and, and toys. And, and, it's really cool. For a while, like this isn't just this didn't just happen this week. I mean, as we sit here. Uh, the date today is uh, September 25th, and there's been Halloween stuff at the Shoppers Drug Mart just down the road from me for, you know, a couple of weeks already. Yeah, and, and if you haven't sort of gotten out and grabbed your shopping yet, you're going to miss out on the best pieces. Like, it's amazing how quickly that stuff gets snatched up. That's why um, I got these, huh? The little devil horns. The good <laughs> stuff right there. But it's also the season, not just for the release of new horror movies, um, but also the, the haunted house... Uh, rides and adventures that tend right. to pop up and those are always great you know you go to theme parks and they've got a haunted house you go to or usually there's a farm outside of the city you can go up there and they have a corn maze or some guys in rubber masks and fake chainsaws chasing you around that kind of cool thing this year what I wanted to talk about is is the first year that we're seeing those kinds of experiences being crafted that cater towards zombies zombies has become the big big uh, thing and there are three specific sort of, you know, attempts at this, first-time attempts at trying to deliver this experience that I wanted to talk about. Right. Uh, the first one actually uh, has just opened here in Canada. Let's see if I can pull it up on my little screen share. Here we are. Ah, there we are. And uh, they call themselves the Zombie Combat Zone. <laughs> <laughs> this is in British Columbia in Langley. And uh, this is kind of a combination of two things. One, it's a man named uh, Robert McCall who is a prop master and special effects artist on a number of movies. And then the second is it's really a, a one large paintball field. So they've got 57 acres of farmland. 
and the idea is that you and your friends go and they have a 45 minute scripted adventure in which you and a bunch of friends have to go and rescue some scientists, uh, get them back, and in the meantime, sort of fight with paintball guns, uh, wave after wave of all these zombies that come after you. Mm. My guess is there's going to be a shortage of red paintball bullets uh, in Canada, probably between the weeks of like the you know the 22nd of October through to the uh, first week of November. Well, there's a, you know, a number of different ways of sort of trying to um, approach this as, as delivering sort of a theme park ride. And I'm not entirely sure that I think Zombie Combat Zone has the best approach. Right. Uh, the reason is it's sort of right there in the title. It's a combat zone. Um, when you sign up for this experience, there's not a lot of information. I have right. to say that the guys who have done this are, aren't really telling you too much about what you can expect. I've been trying to find a lot of details. Very hard online. There's no photographs or anything like that. but um, what they say is that you and your friends will be given combat fatigues. You'll be given equipment that you're going to be carrying, the, the large paintball guns, the masks, right. and all that kind of stuff. And then they're going to put you, uh, you, you're going to be placed under the charge of a bunch of staff members who will be playing soldiers, your commanding right. officers, and they will take you through this experience uh, and wave after wave of zombies. And it's sort of a mission-based kind of adventure. Right. I think the problem here is that they're really trying to appeal to the people who live for paintball on the weekends, who are militia enthusiasts, who are survival enthusiasts, who belong to hunting clubs and gun clubs, and they love experiences where they're dominant, they're the winners, they're the ones with the guns right. and the rifles shooting everything. And I think that's kind of a mistake because that's not really what, to me anyway, what the whole zombie genre really is about. You, it should be the every person who becomes suddenly taken aware that has to kind of deal with a horrifying right situation yeah i mean and there's also I, I guess they have to be so carefully uh monitored because uh they're shooting actors dressed as zombies right correct and yes. so just for safety issues i guess you just can't set a group of people loose in a field and say go shoot those actors it's not like you're shooting your friends where you might be a little bit more careful about what's going on you're shooting people you don't know you're sort of having fun you might get a little caught up in it you got to shoot zombies in the head which in paintball world you don't do right no right yeah and you know um the other issues are that this is from what i can tell all the photographs show this is something that's taking place at night so that compounds everything that you've just suggested yeah, yeah but around the world other people are sort of tackling this uh situation from different uh, approaches and there's been a couple that i think are really really intelligent so here's one from london england and uh well reading england i shouldn't say london england uh, but it's called the Zombie Shopping Mall. <laughs> and what they've done is they've located a shopping mall in Reading on the outskirts of, uh, of England that has already been set for demolition. Right. So this place is abandoned. It's going to be destroyed. They don't know when that's going to happen. But in the meantime, they've managed to take over the shopping mall. And they have filled it with actors, of course, dressed up as zombies. What I like about it is that it's not being presented as a military adventure. It's not a combat adventure. Right. Uh, you're shooting airsoft rifles, so it's kind of, you know, it's not the same sort of messy splatter uh, type scenario. What I like, though, is that um, you play sort of average everyday Joes that are in this shopping mall, and they have this long sort of track for you to run through the, the zombie, uh, the shopping mall, and zombies chase you. They, they warn you ahead of time that you have to, you don't have to be super physically fit, 
but you, you know, you can't be someone with a heart condition. You can't be someone that's going right. to, you know, trip and fall. And but that's like, I mean, there's rules about going on roller coasters too. I mean, that's pretty, pretty standard for this kind of thing. Oh, completely. What they're offering is a two and a half hour experience. Uh, they say it's heavily scripted with lots of scenarios that are right. Taken right out of the zombie movies and right out of the zombie TV shows. Again, they don't give away too much details, but they do say that this is not being presented like a paintball game. There's right. no points. There's no score system. If a zombie comes up and grabs you, it's not like you're taken off the field because now technically right. you've been infected. Their approach, they say, and I think this is quite clever, is to create areas where you and your group become separated on purpose. Right. And one of your, your team is sort of off in a corner surrounded by zombies. Now you have to run in and save that person. Right. They often create little situations and scenarios where even though it looks like you're going to die, you're not really quite there. And it looks pretty cool. The, the few photographs that are online from that they've been posting from the ones that they've been running show – um, like parking lots, they show zombies all crowding chain link fence and trying to go after you, and skids of you know wood and all sorts of areas for you to be able to hide around. That seems to me like a better approach than yeah. uh, the place in British Columbia. Well, yeah, I know it seems cool. I mean, it, you really do have to be up for this kind of thing, though. A, a year or so ago, I went through the haunted house at Universal Studios, and I was with a, a couple of other people. And uh, I thought, whatever, it's, you know, it's at a, 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 you know, an amusement park. How bad can it be? And it was terrifying. I mean, it was absolutely nerve-shatteringly terrifying. And, I mean, I think, you know, it's located in Hollywood. So, of course, they've got years of experience of, you know, giving you a, a little bit of a, an extra shock. But, wow, it was really scary. And with this thing, it sounds like a show. Like, you're two and a half hours in, and there's no escape. Most uh, haunted houses have an escape hatch. Every now and again, there's a doorway that if you freak out, it's like a panic button. You can just, you know, you can run out to the door and run to safety if you have to, if you're getting too freaked out. Well, the one that takes the cake, so that we've gone through sort of the different levels of what people have been doing, but the one I, I actually um, think is fantastic right. is in San Diego. Mm. It's called the Walking Dead Experience. There it is. And they've taken over a ballpark. So this is a place that normally would be used as a sports arena for you to watch baseball or to watch soccer. And the blue lines that you see there are the obstacle path that they have actually created <laughs> through all the different levels, right? So you can That's see, cool. I mean, and they've sectioned off. Each one is having a different theme. One is a FEMA resupply depot. The other one is uh, an evac zone, which is, I guess, yeah. where you're, you're being taken away. And then they have the herd highway which i can yeah, imagine that, that can't be good that cannot be that good cannot be good uh but what i also like about them is fantastic is that they actually post lots of photographs to oh, let you know right. what it's all about uh let me just rearrange my windows here because the fa the photos i've seen have just look immensely wonderful they've got actual areas you can see there where people are chasing you oh, come on let's pull it up that way Right. Oh, cool. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, they actually have people chasing you. You've got these little zones that you have to run into. They'll corral you into one area. You scream, you turn, you run the next <laughs> direction. <laughs> uh, just looks fantastic. Some of the actors, wonderful yeah. in terms of their, their you know, script. Guys dressed up as FEMA, emergency supplies. So it looks just really intense in terms of you having to run and jump over things and people chasing after you. 
Look at that. I love this. Here's an underground tunnel that you have to run, and they have people on top throwing body parts and <laughs> on top of you. Uh, <laughs> oh, just See, that of all looks, of them, this is the one that appeals to me the most. Yeah, I'm the exact same way. I'm not looking for a military adventure. Oh, look, yeah. and this is one of the things that's really great about this one. The other parks won't allow you to take photographs or right. video of what your experience is. They will arrange, here we've got a zombie that's got a GoPro camera yeah, yeah. on his chest, you know? <laughs> so you can actually see the zombies come after you and then later on, look at the facial expressions that you get. Wow, yeah, that's cool. Utterly freaking out. Well, there's also a place uh, that is just open now in Las Vegas. It's Eli Roth's Goratorium, and, and it's on the Strip. Now, Eli Roth, of course, best known as the director of the Hostel movies and Cabin Fever. And um, it is a, 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 a sort of a, 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 you know, a, an attraction that is a, sort of geared around zombies and all things horror. But I'm just reading about it here. And, uh, you know, there's a wedding chapel, of course, in this uh, complex because it's Las Vegas. So corpse brides will get married by a zombie minister, which I think is really cool. And uh, Eli says, we'll really cater it to whatever your sickest fantasy is. Where your wedding photos will guarantee no one else's wedding will look like the ones from the Goratorium. It's pretty great. That's brilliant. Yeah. And uh, um, last year, his inaugural Eli Roth's Hostel hunting season maze at Universal Studios uh, drew 2,000 people in an hour. So, uh, you know, this new goratorium on the Strip um, is being described here as um, uh, like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, except there's blood instead of chocolate. (laughs) And it's a year-round thing, so it's for horror fans all year, not just at Halloween. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and to think that sort of the the horror industry has gone from small little tiny conventions where people trade VHS tapes of video yeah. nasties and stuff to being this massive industry where you have two thousand people just cycling through to be scared well, th- out of their mind. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's uh, with all these things like the appeal of scary movies and the appeal of these tourist attractions that you've just been talking about in the Goratorium. Um, is that people like to feel scared. They like that adrenaline rush that comes with being scared, but in a movie or in the goratorium and all that, you know nothing really bad is going to happen. So you're safe. You're scared, but safe. And I think that's the appeal of, of these things. Well, the, the, the thing that I like about the zombie adventures is that you actually can run. Because right. the, the few sort of haunted adventures I've gone on to, it's it's stop and go, stop and go. You right, go right. Five well, you're usually in an old house or something, and you're yeah. going through narrow corridors, and yeah. And there's no room to kind of you know um, fulfill the 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 instinct and the urge that you have <laughs> when somebody comes at you. You want to be able to leap back six feet. Yeah. And so uh, I love the idea that uh, now you have. Um, programs where you can ha- watch your friends run away and hey come back here <laughs> <laughs> that is rather awesome it really is um, well I would I would definitely I would go to any the the, uh, the one in, in San Diego sounds like the most fun and then a little quick trip over to the Goratorium in Las Vegas I think that that is a Halloween weekend right there um, I was going to talk about um, one of the things today uh, as we sit here, Tuesday, September 25th, is uh, National One-Hit Wonder Day. Cool. It's a day for everything. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Um, So I pulled this off the shelf. 
This is uh, an entire book. If you if you wonder, there can't be that many one-hit wonders. Well, <laughs> history proves you wrong, my friends. There's a, a giant book filled with one-hit wonders. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll tell you, there, there's a, a few things you need to know, I guess, to understand. If you don't know exactly what a one-hit wonder is, I looked it up here just to be able to give you a, um, a really simple definition. So Wikipedia says a one-hit wonder is a person or act known mainly for only a single success. Uh, the term is most often used to describe music performers with only one uh, hit single. And um, that is uh, um, everybody from bands that you've never heard of, like, uh, you know, the new vaudeville band, uh, Frigid Pink, Norman Greenbaum, and Michael Perks, to people like Janis Joplin, who technically, although a superstar, technically, although someone who everyone, you know, remembers and everyone can hum along to at least one Janis Joplin song, me and Bobby McGee was the only song that made it up the charts for her. And so Janis Joplin, technically a one-hit wonder. So the spectrum of one-hit wonders is, is uh, pretty wide. And as I was going through this, um, I was thinking of songs like uh, Turning Japanese by The Vapors. Right. Which turns up on a lot of movie soundtracks, but they're a band who only ever had uh, one hit single and never went on to do anything else. Um, a band called Steam. Now, everybody knows the song, cha na 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 right? Right. Well, that song was actually recorded. Uh, it was supposed to be a B-side of a single, and years ago, uh, if you had an A side of a single, a 45, that wasn't really uh, um, a real grabber, if it wasn't a guaranteed hit, you would put something not great on the B side to prevent DJs from flipping it over and seeing what was on the other side and playing the B side. So uh, Steam was a band that never actually existed. They were uh, just simply a group of studio musicians who were told to go in the studio and just bang something out. Just, you know, na 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 Don't even write lyrics. Just just do this. And uh, and so they, they hammer out the song in probably a couple of takes. It, it took as long to write, very likely, as it did to play. Uh, they throw it on the B-side of their single, and, of course, the exact opposite of what was supposed to happen happens. DJs get this. They play the, the A-side, which has been long forgotten about now, uh, and go, wow, that's a piece of crap. Let's see what's on the other side. And it turns out to be this insanely catchy little song that was never meant to be uh, heard. And now, of course, you hear it at sporting events. And, you know, it, and it became um, a really, really sizable hit. Um, so uh, it, it's sort of interesting uh, in that way. Um uh, just trying to think here, you know, some uh, acts become one-hit wonders for, for different reasons. Uh, the Big Bopper died after Chantilly Lace, so right. of course was never able to go on and um, have... Uh, oh, baby! That is, that is him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's also um, lots of other, uh, like, famous singers who have only had one hit. So you think of uh, Steely Dan's Donald Fagan, The Love and Spoonfuls, John Sebastian, Brian Wilson of The Beach Boys, Roger Daltrey of The Who, Chad Kroger of Nickelback, Mike Nesmith of The Monkees. Um, they all, although belong to bands that had great success as a solo artist, they are all technically one-hit wonders as well because they all only ever had one song under their own name that climbed up the charts. Right. Or uh, another example that I'm just thinking of now is Iron Maiden, for example. Uh, one of the biggest, I guess, heavy metal acts of all time. Yeah. And yet 
their music rarely got played on the radio. Right. <laughs> and instead, they would sell lots of albums. So they were very yeah. successful in terms of selling albums, but not very successful in terms of getting it on the airplay or radio charts. Very right. kind of different approach. Not every band yeah. goes to the, the, the normal process towards becoming a huge success. Well, and I think that, you know, in heavy metal, that's really common because, uh, you know, unless you're Led Zeppelin, I mean, if you listen to the, to the uh, heavy metal stations, that we have access to here in Toronto, uh, you'll hear a lot of Rush. That's okay. First live band I ever was, second live band that I ever saw. Rush were amazing. Where I saw the Kimono tour when they wore the kimonos. I believe it was uh, Farewell to Kings, oh, and uh, yeah, that was good stuff. And then uh, I think the second half of the show they played all of Twenty One Twelve, and you know, blew my thirteen year old mind. Uh, but you know, bands like. Uh, uh, Rush, uh, Led Zeppelin, you'll hear a lot of, you'll hear a lot of the same stuff over and over again, uh, but you don't hear a lot of other metal, and yet uh, a lot of that stuff sells huge amounts of records, and, you know, or, or they can, you know, fill arenas around the world, but they just don't have what you would consider to be hit singles. And it's the same, you know, it's the Janis Joplin syndrome. It's like they were uh, artists who are, you know, primarily uh, album artists or, you know, long form kind of artists rather than uh, someone uh, who went for single chart single success. Interesting about Janis Joplin, I, I uh, interviewed Chris Christopherson a few years, a long interview with Chris Christopherson on stage uh, at the Victoria Film Festival. And he wrote Me and Bobby McGee, that was his song. And uh, um, that song, uh, he didn't hear Janis Joplin's version of it until after she died. And he uh, actually had been dating her around the time of her death. I don't know if they were still together when she died, but it was in and around there. And um, I, uh, he, he told me that he went to a recording studio uh, with the tape, and he said he listened to it like 40 times in a row just to get the sound of her voice in there and just sort of have one last kind of, you know, mo private moment with a song that, that was very special to him, that, uh, you know, sung by someone who was very special to him. And it was funny because, you know, she died in 1969, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and we did this interview a couple of years ago. So, you know, 40 some odd years had passed. And uh, he still got a little teary when he talked about it. It was one of those, those moments that you have in interviews every now and again, where you know that someone's being completely genuine and honest and, uh, and kind of amazing. And that was a, that was a great moment. Oh wow, that's amazing! Yeah, yeah. And I guess the the sad part with a lot of one hit wonders, you know, you could say, well, it's fantastic. People, you know, got their radio or music on the radio, and you know, uh, you get invited to for that brief moment of, of popularity, you're invited on every show, and yeah, yeah. But often in both entertainment, music, movies, you don't make money off of your first hit. You make money yeah. off of the subsequent hits. And I guess that's always the, the saddest part about the history of one hit wonders is that these people achieved fame, but the money wasn't there. I mean, you know, at, once you prove yourself with the first song, it's not until the, I guess the next album, you actually get the proper contract and deals. I mean, I think often it, it, it works that way. You know, uh, there's uh, Thelma Houston. I interviewed Thelma Houston at the Toronto International Film Festival this year, and she's part of a movie called The Secret Disco Revolution, and she had a massive hit with a song called Don't Lead Me That Way. Um, and, I mean, it's been, you know, keeping people bumping and grinding on dance floors for uh, 30 years now, or more than that. And uh, she was amazing. I, I said, do you ever get sick of singing this song? Because, of course, it's the one that everybody wants to hear when she does oh, yeah. corporate gigs. Or she plays often at Gay Pride uh, around the world, but notably here in Toronto. She's always a big hit here. And uh, she said, never. She said, I, you know, she said, in my life, 
she said, or in anybody's life, wouldn't you like to have at least one thing that everyone loves that you do? Right. And I was like, you know what, Thelma Houston, you're right. <laughs> you are correct. And so she sings that song and makes people happy. And that's all she really, that, that's her, that's her thing. That's what she cares about. Oh, very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, the, the second thing that I wanted to talk about um, was that I, I had the fun experience of, I like puzzles. I like solving right. puzzles, riddles, mental exercises. I, I don't do crosswords necessarily, but I do. Uh, I do uh, crosswords. Really? I'm a little obsessive about crosswords. Yeah. All right. I do. Um, so for me, I love also uh, reading detective stories. I love right. any movie that deals with crime and stuff like that. And I think it's always sort of a fantasy if you are someone that you read a lot of crime stories to one day right. um, be in a situation where you kind of solve a crime from the newspapers. I mean, it's right. fun to sort of read a book and say, well, I think I know who did it. Yeah. Um, so I had that wonderful experience on Friday. Yeah. So, uh, well, I saw part of this on Twitter. So tell yeah. me about this. I saw what you were posting. Okay. And tell me how it all, tell me how all the pieces fit together. <laughs> so um, on Friday, there was a news story that hit here in Toronto that police had found remains at a waste service station uh, just on the north end of the city. Right. And that kind of um, triggered my interest because statistically, if someone is murdered, um, the person who kills them and they try to dispose of the body, they're not going to throw them in the garbage. Right, because it's too obvious, right? Correct, yes. And I think because so many people have watched movies, have watched television shows where you get some basic education about what the nature of crime is, um, right. it's just it just doesn't happen. It's, it's very, very rare. So the moment that I heard that there was a story where they had found remains in a garbage site, I thought that uh, it had to be kind of suspicious. And the fact that right. the police weren't quick to kind of say much about it in terms of details. But it lit up all of our news friends. Uh, news talk and CTV, they had people stationed outside there. They were trying to get as many details as they could. Right. The well, particularly after what's been happening, like in Montreal, when they're finding body parts in, in suitcases and things like that. I mean, it, it seems like there's more of this, like, weird, disconnected body part crime. And it's, I'm laughing. It's not funny. But it, it seems like there's some odd, very odd things in the wind these days. Very, uh, yeah, and it's not just one individual because I know yes. we had that spree with Luca Magnata, but he's been caught, and yet we're still finding suitcases showing up, and yeah. and it's yeah, and it's one of those things where in many cases it's hard to really identify the the remains that have been found. I know the one suitcase they opened up, and the best they could say was they felt it was a woman because the foot had yellow toenail polish on it. I mean, right, it's that right, kind right. of a, a situation. So yes, the police had said that they had found remains at this waste disposal site. Uh, and the hint was that they were not recognizable, that there was something had been done to them so that they were right. not easy to try to understand what they were dealing with. And I, as I said, that got my attention just because this was in the, at a garbage place, and typically human remains don't end up at a garbage station. The only exception to that would be um, infants, sometimes people who are trying to get rid of a baby. Right. They're distraught or whatever. Yeah. That ends up in the garbage for whatever right. reason. Right. Uh, and I kept following it and following it, and the updates were all day long. I know News Talk 1010 had like an ongoing almost live blog. And the next piece of information that came out was that um, it, it appeared that they had found a hand. And so CTV was the first one to really report that. It sounded like, you know, yes, we've, we've got a human body here. Oh, no, what's going on? 
as soon as I heard that, I knew instantly what was going on. <laughs> I had it all solved. I was like, Watson, you know, grab the coat. Let's get in. I, I know exactly what's going on. And I took to Twitter just for the, the, the fun of it, just as right. trying to solve a puzzle and said, look, um, in my opinion, uh, this is not a, a human body that has been found, but actually the hand uh, is actually a bear paw. That this has been a bear that someone has killed potentially out of season or under right. suspicious circumstances and they've tried to dump it at the dump uh and so it was a lot of fun watching the story develop that was about two o'clock so i had to wait till six thirty to find out if i was actually right right and that's when they announced yes you know police finally confirmed after the coroner had arrived and gone through the remains had confirmed that yes indeed what they were dealing with was uh, a bear well the picture you showed on facebook or, or twitter the sort of the, the hands the bone structures were remarkably similar Right. So uh, the reason I, I, I jumped to this conclusion was because I've spent a lot of time um, reading about human anatomy, about animal anatomy. I find it very fascinating. I, right. I'm the kind of guy that sits down and watches shows like Inside Nature's Giants where they take animals and perform autopsies on them. I find it very fascinating. It's not a gore thing. It's not right. about death. It's, it's about like being an engineer trying to understand how things work. And so one of the interesting things that happens when you take a look at uh, animal anatomy is there are remarkable similarities to our own anatomy. Right. Very frightening. Uh, there's a, um, a show inside a Nature's Giants where they had performed dissections on a, a, a tiger and a lion. And the amazing thing was that once you remove that big mane, you get rid of all the fur and the stripes and just to the point where you're dealing with musculature and sort of the, the, the skeleton, they had these two animals la laid out on gurneys. And if you brought in anybody off the street, they would have swore there was two human bodies lying on the. Really? Wow. Yeah. Like it's, it, and even I'm watching it going, wow, how does that work? Yeah. That's just crazy. Uh, in another uh, video that I saw, they were performing a dissection of an elephant. And the amazing thing is that the feet of an elephant, if you remove all the, the, the gray skin, the wrinkles, the flesh and everything around it, it actually looks like a woman's foot sitting on a high heel. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's amazing because wow. that's how an elephant's foot is structured. The toes yeah, yeah. are on the ground and then the heel is up and basically a large sort of wedge of, of um, fat and flesh is there yeah. acting just like the heel on a high heel shoe. So it's, you, you know, now I've got this vision of, a, of an elephant walking around and sort of delicately on its yeah, toes. Yeah, like Cinderella slippers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So this is the thing about bear paws is that um, bear paws, and I know this from like 10, 12 years ago reading about this, is that a bear's paw, if you remove the fur, if you remove all the, the skin, the fat, and the, the, the muscles, and everything that's on there, and just reduce it to its bone, just a skeletal paw, it actually is so identical to a human hand that they use it in osteology classes as a, an exam question. And it's, right. it's, it's amazing because it's the, the one trick question that's on the exam. If you take osteology classes, what they do is they give you a tray full of bones. And, you know, the instructor sits there and waits for you to pick up each bone and say what it is. Okay, this is a femur, this is that, this is this. And to fool you, they throw a bear paw in there. And right. time after time after time, uh, it's like uh, Kobayashi Maru from Star Trek. You're meant to fail. <laughs> the, the lesson is that it's supposed to be this big shock. It's like, what do you mean that's not human? You know, I've right. spent four years studying osteology classes, and you're telling me that's a bear paw? It is that remarkably close 
in terms of nature. And so when they said that they had found uh, organic matter, this large body mass, and they couldn't really identify it, I, and then they found a hand, like that's the only part of what they had found that looked human and, and was recognizable. I thought, okay, well, that has to be a bear paw. Hmm. And, and did you put this out on Twitter and on Facebook and stuff? Did they come to the conclusion themselves, or did you help them? Did you push them in that? Way? I, I wish that I could I'd say like that to I think helped. That you did that, yes. <laughs> but I doubt it. In fact, I my guess would be that um, this is something that somebody on the police force would have already been thinking when right. as soon as they got the report. But it was funny because I did put out my little prediction before the coroner had arrived on the scene, right. so I had to sit there and wait. Well, I think you should get some kind of little diploma or something. You should get a little medal that we'd hang sort of just right back behind you in the shot here. You know, what it is, is the equivalent of going into like a basketball court, covering your eyes and just throwing the ball right, and then right, hearing right. that swish. It's that yeah. kind of, you know, you don't really, can't really take claim as like, oh, I did something awesome. It's just really cool. This, yeah. this flukes sort of thing that happened. And it's something I've often fantasized. I would love to be able to open up the newspaper and just, just like Sherlock Holmes did. And at the beginning of every uh, case, he would review the facts and immediately think he already knows. It. And then it's a case of just putting on the cloak and grabbing the, you know, the, the cab and getting out to the scene and inspecting it, going, ah, everything all comes together. Yeah. Well, uh, you've had your moment, and I, I, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. I saw it on, as I say, I saw that on, and the, the photographs were really quite something. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was very cool. Now, what I wanted to sort of talk about, and this is something that I was going to sort of pick your brain about as much as anything here. Um, Justin Timberlake, uh, who we know as a popular performer and actor, uh, is also uh, in on a new sort of multimedia companies. And one of the things that he's done is invest very heavily into MySpace. Oh, wow. Do you know about this? Um, they, it's a, they, they've redesigned MySpace. And now it scrolls horizontally. Uh, it, it, it borrows, I think it says here in the article that I'm reading about, uh, the, from the image sharing network uh, Pinterest, uh, it was unveiled Monday night, so last night, mm -hmm. uh, in L.A. by owners uh, Chris and Tim Vanderhoek and a new investor, Justin Timberlake. And they bought, the Vanderhooks bought the site in June 2011 from Rupert Mordark, who was unloading things, uh, apparently, uh, for $35 million, uh, even though News Corp paid more than half a billion dollars for it in 2005. Yeah. And now... That's sort of, for me, where the story starts, because I remember when MySpace started, you know, Dane Cook, the comedian, had a million followers on, on MySpace, and you were like, that is mind-blowing. How can you have a million followers? And, you know, artists and, and bands and things were using it. You could, There was a little jukebox function that you could have other so that you could uh, stream your music and it was a really great way of creating a fan base for you and then one day somebody said to me hey have you been on facebook yet i'm like no i'm, I'm totally on uh, myspace <laughs> myspace the hippest and then you know a month later nobody was using myspace anymore or it right. didn't happen that quickly but it seemed to and uh so now myspace is dead buried somebody that they even got 35 million for it last year kind of blows my mind but they're they're trying to take it uh a further away from its roots as a one-stop social network for the masses it says here um you know it asked users to log in via facebook or twitter rather than building their own profiles from scratch and it's going to focus more narrowly on becoming a social home for musicians artists celebrities and their fans and i just wonder uh what you think because you're the tech expert here. 
I think that MySpace as a brand, my, I'm the pop culture guy. MySpace right. as a brand is over. I don't feel that uh, the name is going to attract anybody to this site. Uh, people, you know, people will still remember it as you know what it was, which was like a, a slightly clunkier version of Facebook, or a slightly much uh, clunkier version of Facebook. And even with the redesign, even with it being easier to use, I'm not sure that uh, it's something that people are going to jump on. No, uh, I think you're absolutely right. It's dead. I um, I saw the story last night. I was also um, covering the midnight launch of Mists of Pandaria for World of Warcraft. I was standing out in the lines and chatting with other people, but I did see online a lot of this right. chatter about they're trying to bring MySpace back. And my reaction was, good luck. Yeah, good luck to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that Justin Timberlake was involved. That's mm -hmm. bizarre. I mean, considering he played... I know. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. he plays one of the founders of Facebook, or one of the money people behind Facebook and the social network. I know. Right. Well, it, the irony. Well, he played um, the the co-founder of, of Napster. In, oh in no, that's Facebook right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, but, what's interesting? But he about helped the Facebook. He helped Zuckerberg in the early days, right? That's right, because Napster had, was a failure, and sort of, you know, it was his chance yeah. to kind of, you know, offer advice and say, "Well, I've gone through this once already, so yeah. here's what you need to avoid." But I would actually say that it's the same situation as Napster because once Napster was dead, uh, you know, there was a thought that maybe they could bring it back. There was always the attempt to try to legitimize Napster. Right. And so there were companies that bought Napster that tried to relaunch it so you could actually buy songs from it. And it just was that the moment was gone, regardless of how much money was being pumped into Napster yeah. to try to keep it going and keep it alive. Uh, it just fell apart. And I think that the same problem is sort of hitting MySpace. Uh, and really, you know... It's, it's one of those things, you're talking about uh, social networking, mm -hmm. which is very similar to um, clubbing, you know, in terms of trying to create a spot that has that it factor that everybody has to come and hang out and where all the cool kids are. And it's yeah. really hard to do that with something that's already been around, it sort of has that feeling like it's come and it's gone. So I don't, I, I don't see MySpace really having any success. It's I, just I, a complete waste of money. Yeah, I don't either. And I was just, I was confused when I saw this story. And, you know, I mean, this week, or earlier this week, there was the, the big talk of the privacy breach on Facebook. And people were thinking that their messages, their private messages from, you know, five and six years ago were suddenly being made public. Uh, it turned out not to be true, but um, the way that that story spread so rapidly seemed to indicate that people, I mean, know that there's big holes in the privacy uh, issues related to Facebook. Um, I think, you know, if you're posting stuff on Facebook that you don't want anyone to see, you kind of get what you deserve if it, if it finally makes, if it does go public, but that's another issue. Um, but, uh, you know, every day I have people come to me on my Facebook account and go, I'm leaving Facebook because uh, I just don't trust it anymore. I'm spending too much. And then like two weeks later, they're back. Hey, I'm back. I've decided I couldn't live without it. So Facebook for all, all its foibles doesn't seem to me to be going anywhere anytime soon. Pinterest, to me, hasn't caught on in the way that, that people thought it was going to. Uh, MySpace seems like a dead issue to me. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe Justin Timberlake is more, you know, uh, <laughs> connected to the zeitgeist than I am. But it, it is apparently 
uh, it emphasizes a, lap a laptop slash desktop experience as opposed to the mobile interface. I don't think that's a particularly good thing because everybody does everything on these now, primarily, you know. So I don't know. I, I, it seems like uh, they've got some kind of cool ideas, although do you really need another place for celebrities to pontificate? I don't, I, I don't think so. It seems like that's what this is uh, to, to a certain extent. But it, it, it seems to me to be kind of wrong-headed from the sort of, you know, starting with the name all the way down. It's always a bad strategy when you're trying to catch up to the latest tech trends. Yeah. The, uh, the, the only way that you really find success is if you get ahead and you're right. there for you know uh, riding the next wave as it were and right. so that's what myspace would have to do the, the whole pinning thing uh and trying to create a desktop like experience uh i have to tell you that i've heard that 20 times now from about yeah. 20 different companies everybody's trying to integrate that into their products uh even apple has now done this in terms of their their phones uh it, if you have upgraded to ios 6 there's a, a little trick that you can do which is that if you open up your web browser, right? Okay, at the bottom there's usually a little icon where you can click on to uh, tweet the page that you found or email yeah. it. Well, there's now an icon that allows. Can I do this on my iPhone? I'm on. I, can I do this on my iPhone? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do this as as you go. So if you open up your web browser, yeah. Grab mine here. Okay, okay. and uh, do, 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 oh, look down yeah. on the little box with the arrow. Yeah. So you'll see in the center it says add to home screen. Yeah. Well, now you can take that web page and turn it into basically an app. It gives it an icon that's on oh, your home screen. Right. The same yeah, as all that's the cool. So now that's pretty can, cool. Yeah, right. We could make a Hey All You Zombies app yeah. essentially. <laughs> you click yeah. on it, it goes to our website, or it can go to, you know, Raising Hail and yeah. all those things. Uh, there are some places like GrooveShark.com, which has been denied an app in all the iTunes stores because of potential problems with licensing in the music industry. So they've actually right. created a page. If you go to GrooveShark.com and you click that button, it now turns right. it into an app where you can actually listen to all the music that's there. Right. But that's an example of pinning, of being able to take something and pin it to a place where it allows you to organize it. Uh, Amazon is doing this heavily. Uh, Kobo now, that's the interface on their devices. So it it seems stupid for MySpace to try to go back and reinvent social networking with um, a technical thing that everybody now is integrating into all their products. You have to come up with something new. Yeah, you know, I think so. And and I think you have to come up with something new, starting with the name. You yeah. know, because the, the, the pace of pop culture is so fast these days that once something's over, it's really over. And it, and it you know, it doesn't take that long for it to come and go. I mean... You know, how many years ago was it that Paris Hilton's name was everywhere? She had books out. There were, you know, a couple of TV shows on. You couldn't pick up a damn, you know, newspaper without seeing Paris Hilton's beauty tips, any, something like that. Now, the only time you ever hear from her is when she's secretly recorded in the back of a cab making homophobic slurs, you know? And that's, that's not uh, fame anymore. That's not the kind of zeitgeisty fame that she had. That is now you know, sort of almost being infamous. And and it's a story that kind of came and went. She said, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to I didn't mean anything by it. And then people have forgotten about it already. 
Um, so the, the pace of pop culture has left her behind. She is now uh, old news, and nobody cares so much anymore. And I think the same MySpace is the Paris Hilton of, uh, <laughs> of uh, social networking. You know? <clears throat> Very true. I would say, I mean, you know, anything is possible in technology, which is what always makes my job so difficult because right. people want me to sort of lock things down. But I would say that the only real chance of trying to take MySpace and, and bring it back to being successful is if you reinterpret what the name really represents. You, you're using right. just the name. You're using just the familiarity that everybody knows where to go to MySpace.com. Shut down the entire network uh, and base it on some new technology that – it involves interior decorating. So if there was a technology that allowed you to kind of completely right. redirect, decorate your home, that would be an awesome way of using MySpace, where MySpace yeah. is not social networking and now represents something else. Right, like on those uh, home design shows where they say, this is what we're going to do, and then there's like a computer graphic layout that shows you where the sofa will go and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a good idea for MySpace. Or um, there's a lot of um, talk about video game companies, say, like Microsoft, for example, which wants to use your entire living room as one big video game environment. They right. kind of do this right now with the Kinect, which is a sensor that sits on top of your television and can monitor your body movements. But that's like a five by eight foot space. Right. They're saying, you know, you'd be able to have sensors that would register everything in your living room. That would be cool as to connect that to a brand that everybody understands. So th what I'm saying is if you have technology that's so brand new, it's hard to describe. Right. You have that right. obstacle of trying to ex show it to people who are like, what is it? Yeah, you know, yeah. It takes years for people to kind of wrap their heads around it. Buying a brand like MySpace and attaching to it gets rid of that obstacle right away where people are like, oh, MySpace is back. Okay, what's it about? Oh, it does this fun. You know, people are now receptive to understanding what your strange new experience is about. That would have value to me. But yeah, the, I I'm only have to assume that Justin Timberlake is looking for a tax write-off because I <laughs> <laughs> maybe so, you know, or, or you know, maybe maybe they, you know, the the idea of connecting celebrities to fans. I mean, I get the idea of it, I, and I know that you know Twitter has done that to a certain extent. Uh, yeah. You know, you can I, I can direct message John Cusack or you know uh, these film directors, William Friedkin, that I really admire, uh, that are that are on Twitter, and it gives you sort of a, a you know a, a more uh, what it feels like. It's not really, but what it feels like, sort of more intimate contact with them. I get that, uh, but I mean, I just think that they're starting about it the wrong way. I would have thought. Scrap the whole thing in its entirety and start from the ground up if you want to do this and call it, you know, Celeb Connect and do it that way. Don't do not do it using uh, a brand. And I'm not even so much talking about the technology anymore. I'm just talking about the brand, which is old and tired sounding. Whether or not they've, they've managed to create something that's really kind of cool looking, I don't know if kids are even going to bother trying it. Well, and the thing is that, you know, when you're using that brand for social networking, you have the problem that everybody's already got Facebook. Yeah. You're trying to convince people to give up Facebook. That's what it sounds like. Hey, MySpace yeah. is back. Give up Facebook and come to us. Why? We left you. And, and you know, most people are reasonably happy with Facebook. We're just used to it that they don't want to have to go through that experience again. So, yeah. no, it's a – Well, and all my stuff's already on Facebook. All my pictures are already there. You know what I mean? It's like it's that thing. It's like why why would I want to move when I have to pack all the damn books again? You know, I'm gonna just stay where I am. Well, the next experience I think is always gonna be something that's a little lighter 
in yeah. nature. That was the reason why Twitter has been so successful right. after Facebook because right. it doesn't have that investment. You don't yeah. have to upload all your photographs to Twitter. Uh, right. And Twitter has been very useful. There have been attempts to try to create social networking based on sports. The right. idea that people love to trash talk. And what has been found is that people already trash talk about sports on Twitter. So it's impossible to kind right. of, you know, replace something that people are already using. Yeah, Twitter might, to me, to my mind, Twitter is the perfect social media uh, site because it is uh, fast, it's concise, it's funny. Uh, there's not a great deal of investment, you know, and, uh, and, and, it's, and it's fun. And I think for me, that's it. And, and, you know, listen, uh, in the time that we've been talking, if I clicked on my Twitter account right now, uh, you know, there'd be uh, 50 new tweets, something to read. And so there's always something new coming in. And I don't know. Twitter, for me, uh, has it over Facebook. But, you know, that's because I think in 140 characters. <laughs> it's hard to invent the future. Yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, I think a lot of people are now starting to contemplate is what's going on with Apple, which always seemed to be ahead of the future. Right. Right now is having a rough time okay. um, in that. I don't know. Some people, there are analysts that are disappointed with the number of iPhone fives that have been sold. Five million in a weekend sounds pretty damn good to me. Sounds good to me. Yeah. But, uh, but they're doing. They're, but they are too expensive. Nine hundred dollars. I mean, is is the top end of them. I mean, you can get yeah. them for a little cheaper, but seven hundred dollars, I think, is is the next drop down. That's a lot of money for a phone that you're going to leave in a cab. Very much. Like, so. You know, that's and I mean, this one was five hundred bucks, and I guarded like you know, it's never it's never too far out of my sight. Uh, $900, that's the kind of money you really think about before you decide to drop it on a phone or something like that. That is a little thinner and a little longer, and I'm not sure it does enough more to justify an extra 400 bucks for me. You know, and the, the problem is that Apple can do that because their products have always met a certain standard right. or perception of standard. And right now, uh, with all the issues that they've been having with Apple Maps, I think that becomes a real right. problem for them in terms of you can't demand that kind of money if you're going to have the kind of experience that you're giving away with Apple Maps. And it's a question now, has Apple become tired? Are they now going to have to pass on? Is somebody else going to come in and become the next one to invent the future? We'll have to wait and see. But yeah. it's tricky business technology, man. It is. Well, it, 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 yeah. And, and uh, you know, a year ago, Apple were on top. And now, you know, we're, we're, we're wondering what the next thing is. And that's how fast the pace of that technology moves. Yeah. Uh, well, and another comparison would be BlackBerry. Does BlackBerry have any chance of yeah. coming back? I've been, I'm on record for a year and a half now. On <laughs> BNN, they asked me this question a year and a half ago, and they thought I was nuts. I said, no, BlackBerry's dead. Yeah. Forget it. It's gone. And uh, about six to eight months later, everybody sort of caught up to me <laughs> yeah. and realized that that is it's sad. But, I mean, it makes me, it's sad. It's an extremely sad thing. It's a Canadian company. I want them to do well, but man, it doesn't look good for them. No, it does not look good. Well, I can tell you that it's not going to look good for monsters in the next coming weeks because we're going to be fighting it out, trying to find the, the best monster of all time. We're going to be asking you to help us out. So although we don't have any specific direct instructions for you right now, in the next week, think about your favorite monster, mm -hmm. favorite creature from the movies. Uh, post it in our comments. Give us an email. Talk to us on Twitter. Uh, we'll be very friendly to you. We promise. <laughs> And thank you with that. Uh, we're going to end uh, this episode. I'm going to have to play some music here. Let's have some music here. I'll, uh, let's see. There we go. Also, I'll put up the Hey All You Zombies logo thank here. Very much. And away we go. And once again, the, our music, our lovely, lovely musical uh, 
song here is by Johnny O and the Jerks. Ooh. The song is Zombie Love Affair. <laughs> See you next week. See you next week. <laughs> Tails, he's got a little